0: as mark said earlier uh... that is our mission theme for the year and these booklets are still available around the church certainly on the mission wall downstairs and uh... in the various places where there's information and in there uh... you can find out lots of information and uh... especially things you can be praying for i wanna wanna direct your attention to two places in our worship guide The first one is uh, the very last page, the outside page. And there you will see uh, the list of our our partners. You've got global, domestic, and local. And uh, we have information about all of these on our mission wall uh, for prayer. And uh, I just wanted to point out, in terms of our global mission partners, um, you, you see our, our focus areas of Haiti, England, Bulgaria, Ukraine, and uh, of those global mission partners, 70% of those are with Mission to the World, our denomination's mission organization, and uh, that uh, brings me to asking you to turn back to page uh, nine and there you will see the bio of our our speaker today and I'm not going to read it to you. I encourage you to read it later on because you're not going to want to miss uh, uh, the message this morning but I simply want to say a, a couple of things about uh, Uh, Dr. Kim. I've been in the Presbyterian Church in America since 1982 when the denomination I was ordained in came into the PCA and uh, from the first moment I loved our mission organization, Mission to the World. Uh, It is an effective organization. It is not afraid to constantly be looking at how they can become more effective in terms of the Great Commission. And uh, so Dr. Kim uh, recently, as you will see there, has begun, become our coordinator. Um, I was very excited when uh, he became our coordinator, not just because of his credentials, which he has plenty of credentials, for that, but there is one credential that especially uh, I appreciated, and uh, I heard from our missionaries that they were excited about as well, and that is that he's a missionary. He right. has been he has been on the field. Uh, he is uh, not an administrator only, uh, or not an office guy. Uh, he has been there, and for that. We are thankful. Uh, Dr. Kim, we're, we're glad to have you. He's got a um, horrific travel schedule, and uh, so we are delighted that we were able to, to get him today. And God bless you as you bring God's word.
1: Good morning. Um, I'm humbled and honored to be here today as the coordinator of Mission to the World. I would have never dreamed in God's providence that he would call me to this. Uh, again, I'm so humbled and grateful to serve in this way. Thank you for the introductions. Very kind of you um, to do so. If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn into the scriptures to the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter. Verses 16 through 20, I believe it's also in your bulletin, if you have your bulletins open. Very familiar passage, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is God's very own word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Word of God. God. As was mentioned earlier, our family had the honor and privilege of serving overseas, and for the past, um, our most recent area of service was in Cambodia. So let me ask you this question Did you know that Cambodia? actually has a king it's called the kingdom of cambodia the kingdom of wonder they have a king but the truth is the people don't really respect their king very much they respected his father king sihanouk because he led them to independence from france the current king uh, was actually a ballet dancer in italy <laughs> never married single and the truth is he has very little influence over his subjects. The country right next door, however, Thailand also has a king, but the contrast couldn't have been any more stark because the people in Thailand revere their king. In fact, if you remember, um, in the past there have been several, several civil disturbances in Thailand, civil unrest, people protesting on the streets. And it only took the king of Thailand to stand up and to speak to the people and say, put down your signs, stop your demonstrations and behave as Thai ought to behave. And at that, everyone dropped their signs, packed up the things and went home. Do you realize that we also have a king? His name is Jesus. And what do you think people say about us who follow this king? Do people say that we don't really respect our king? Or do they say at his word, we will drop everything and follow in obedience? Our message today is, here, is to hear again these words of our Lord and Savior before he ascends to heaven, after He was raised from the dead. To hear these final words to his disciples. And you see, this message is to renew our passion for missions. It is to shape our perspective of what missions is. And it is to give us all a renewed sense of purpose as we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. I think the first thing the Lord is telling us this morning is that we we really don't deserve to be a part of this kingdom-building work. Can you imagine what must have been going on in those disciples' minds as they heard the news from Mary Magdalene that early Sunday morning? Jesus is alive. (laughs) He is risen, and He wants to meet us in Galilee You see, just three days earlier, they saw Jesus hung up on a cross, bleeding, suffering. How is it that Jesus is now alive? Galilee is about 60 to 75 miles away from Jerusalem where the disciples were. And so it probably took them three or four days simply to travel from Jerusalem, to, Can you imagine what they must have been talking about as they traveled together on the road to Galilee? What must have been going on in their minds? Perhaps they've thought back at the last time that they were all gathered together with their Lord that fateful night in Gethsemane. Perhaps echoing in their ears are the words of Jesus, you can't even keep watch with me for one hour. Rise, let's go. Behold my betrayers at hand. And as the mob came with clubs and with spears and with swords to take Jesus. Every one of his disciples, even Peter, fled, abandoned him when he needed them most. Certainly Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him when the rooster crowed in the courtyard of the high priest. And so I can imagine these disciples walking to the place where they would meet their Lord, filled with so many conflicting emotions. Not only wonder and awe at at perhaps Jesus really is alive, but also fear. And shame that they might have to actually face the one that they've denied and abandoned. When I was about 10 years old, um, my older brother and I, he's about a year older than me, we were playing in our neighborhood and we were attacked by some neighborhood bullies. Another friend was with us at the time. And as we were playing in in a park nearby our house, about two blocks away, these older bullies started teasing us. And being rascally boys that we were, we yelled back and probably called them names we shouldn't have, not expecting what would happen next. They actually started chasing after us. And so sure enough, all three of us on our bikes hopped on and we pedaled as fast as we could back to our home, back where it was safe. On our front lawn, it was about two blocks away. And all I remember is hearing this screaming, screaming. I was screaming. Our hearts were beating. Sure enough, I was the first back to the house and my friend next to me. And I I turned back and I looked and there was my brother a block away. The chain had fallen off his bike. And sure enough, those older bullies caught up to him. And they took a couple cheap shots, took off, and there he was, humiliated, weeping, angry. He picks up his bike. He walks it over to where we were. We are just standing there, dumbfounded, at this whole scene transpiring before us. He threw, down, he threw down his bike. He walked up to me, and he slugged me in the stomach, and he said, where were you? Didn't you hear me cry for help? Of course, I, I really didn't hear him call. I just heard random screaming. And I felt so bad after that incident. Afterwards, we asked our dad to teach us Taekwondo. (laughs) It only lasted a couple weeks. You see, we should expect Jesus to come to his disciples and slug them and to say, where were you? But he doesn't. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't call them out for their cowardice. In fact, he goes and tells Mary Magdalene, go tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. He still calls them his brothers, even Peter. And when he speaks to them on the mountain, he doesn't even mention their failures. He doesn't mention their sins, and not even the fact that while he was standing before them, some of them doubted him. You see, this is a picture of God's amazing grace and mercy. What they deserved is to be abandoned. What they deserved is to be denied before the Father. What they deserved is to be excluded from the kingdom. But instead of rebuke Jesus, he forgives them. And he enlists them into his kingdom service, the very thing that he himself began. And you see, this is a picture of God's amazing grace. And we ask ourselves, who are these disciples? But they're us. (laughs) We're just like them. Full of doubt. Maybe even full of shame and guilt. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone that I have offended whom I actually respect, overlooks my sins and shows me mercy and shows me grace, I can't help but love and respect that person even more. And when he demonstrates to me that my relationship with him is so secure and that there are no strings attached to his affection for me, I cannot help but reciprocate this love and affection for him. What He wants is what I want. His desires become my desires. And when I am convinced that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not in front of Him, but I am assured that He knows me for the sinner that I am and still yet loves me, I cannot help but be passionate for what He is passionate for. You know, we ask this question, where does passion for missions come from? It comes from a deep passion from the Lord, for the Lord, for the one who loves us, for the one who has given his life for us. You see, this is not guilt trip motivation for missions, but it flows from a deep sense of gratitude. Gratitude. A deep sense of love and affection and admiration for our Lord. And so the more that we dwell upon His grace and mercy for us, the more fuel that we add to missions fire in our hearts. And so yes, we don't deserve to be a part of this mission work, and yet He allows us this privilege by His race the second thing that our Lord is telling us is that we don't have to be afraid to engage in his kingdom work why because the one who sends us has been given all authority in heaven and on earth and when we go we go with his authority my fear, beloved, is that we don't really believe this. We don't believe that Jesus has all authority. and We don't believe that we send and go with his authority. Oftentimes, we fall into one of two extremes. The first extreme is approaching missions with utter fear and dread in our hearts. We think about how ill-equipped we are. How ill equipped we are to engage with missions, to share our faith, to make disciples, or even to begin praying, whether the Lord is calling us overseas or not. For those who are called even to send and support, we are often hesitant to give beyond what we're comfortable with. Why? Because we're afraid. Do we believe that Jesus has all authority? In heaven and on earth do we believe that we send that we support and that we go with his authority now what would the other extreme be the one side utter fear the other side being overly confident in our own authority we think sometimes that because we are educated because we are wealthy because we are from the West, that somehow the world has to listen to our message. We think that all authority has been given to us. And so we go out and do missions in our own strength and confidence. Our first mission field was actually the Philippines. And when we arrived there, I had the opportunity to visit the Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Cavite. Just finished my PhD. And I thought about all those years of training to finally go and perhaps serve here these students. And so I met some students on campus and um, introduced myself to them. They were very friendly, as many Filipinos are. And then one of them asked me, so what year in school are you here? (laughs) I was so offended. They thought I was a student, thinking, don't you know who I am? Of course, they didn't know who I was. And so, of course, as a missionary, you have to be humble. So I said, well, I don't, I don't go to school here. And he responded, well, are you going to apply? <laughs> we need to ask ourselves some hard questions. What kind of authority and confidence do we base our mission's work upon? Worldly authority? Whether education, money, or power? Or do we believe that Jesus, as all authority in heaven and on earth, And that we send, and that we support, and that we go with His authority. It is only by the authority and power that Christ gives us by His Spirit, by His presence, that we can contribute anything of lasting value to His kingdom work. You see, the promise that He gives us at the end of this great commission, Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. It's not simply this picture of Jesus somehow hovering over us, but it is a promise of His Holy Spirit indwelling us, equipping us into this task with with power and with authority that knows no bounds. And so you see this this idea, this teaching should, should give us confidence and humility at the same time. Should give us who are hesitant and doubtful confidence, that knowing that Jesus is calling to us, calling us to a task that cannot fail, and equipping us with a power that knows no bounds. At the same time, it should give us humility, knowing that it's not our power, authority, or connections or money by which His kingdom grows. So this is the perspective that we need to have as we think about this overwhelming task of discipling the nations. So the Lord is telling us that we don't deserve to be a part of His kingdom-building work, and yet He still commissions us. And He says we cannot do this work by our own power or authority, but we can by His. And finally, I believe the Lord is telling us that every one of us is to be involved in this kingdom-building work, we are all to be involved in making disciples. And what are these two main tasks that he associates with making disciples? Baptism and teaching. Why baptism? Baptism signifies one's entrance into the community of Jesus' disciples. It requires this radical commitment to the Lord and His people, essentially saying, I died to self. And am reborn to live for Christ by receiving his Holy Spirit. It is a declaration that I am a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism signifies. Why teaching? Teaching is the means that Jesus uses to grow his disciples as those who belong to the kingdom of God. So not only are we to lead people to this radical commitment to follow Jesus, but we are to nurture them in faith, teaching them everything that our Lord commands. But here's the truth. We cannot make disciples unless we, unless we are disciples. So have we made the decision to live wholeheartedly for the Lord? Are we committed to a lifetime of learning and growing in the gospel of grace? And you will note that part of teaching everything that Jesus commands is this teaching to make more disciples part and parcel of being a disciple then is to make disciples that's why every one of us is to be involved in this great commission work whether that is sending whether that is supporting or whether that is going to the nations maybe you're thinking we're not ready we're not equipped maybe isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and to teach certainly God has his ordained ministers for their purposes Yet every disciple of Christ is called to participate in making more disciples. Four pastors go to a restaurant and um, they're seated, and the waitress comes over and she throws down the menus and says, What do you want? She is so rude to them that they are dumbfounded. They don't know how to react, they don't know how to respond. In fact, the whole evening meal is ruined because at every turn and stage, she was rude. After the meal, the senior pastor called over the waitress, paid for the bill, and looked her in the eyes and wanted to have a word with her. He looked at her and he said, it seems like you've had a hard day. Here, take this as a gift. And he handed her a $100 bill. She was so moved by this act of generosity, she started weeping and crying and pouring out her soul, her heart to these pastors. And right then and there, the pastor shared with her the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus. And there, she accepted Jesus as her Lord and her Savior. Out in the parking lot, the pastor took aside the three other pastors and looked at them and said, now I want each of you to give me $25. (laughs) You see, every one of us can be involved in making disciples. Some supporting, some leading others to this radical commitment to follow Jesus. But of course, what are these teachings of Jesus? They're gospel teachings, are they not? So we don't teach our disciples that they have to have these perfect Christian lives. What is discipleship? Simply showing someone else how to apply the gospel of grace to all the areas of our life, whether that's our marriage, or how we raise our kids, or how we think about work, or how we think about our role in society. When the center of discipleship is the gospel, the focus is less on us and more on on Christ. So we don't have to pretend to be something we're not. Our message is that we are messed up and broken people and that we need daily to feed upon this gospel of grace. That we daily need to come humbly confessing our sins, our fears, our pride, our anxieties, and feeding upon his amazing forgiveness and grace. We teach our disciples that we are merely beggars, showing other beggars where to find food. Now, we can certainly be involved in making disciples here in our own hometown. Certainly many nations have come. But the Lord is calling His church to go. To go to other nations and other places in order to fulfill God's redemptive purposes and plans. Jesus, risen from the grave, exalted to the highest place, our King, our Lord, bids us to go. You see, beloved, this task is not an option. It's not something we do if we have extra time. It's included in the very definition of what it means to be a disciple. That is to make disciples. It helps define our purpose and calling as we remain here in this world. Beloved, do we respect our king? Our King has delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. Our King has set us free. Our King rules and reigns over every square inch of this world. Beloved, let us respect our King. And may His vision for the nations be our vision as well. May His kingdom come. May His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's pray. We are so humbled, Lord, at the fact that you would look upon us with your mercy and grace. We stand before you at times ashamed, full of guilt, and yet we thank you that you overlook these sins of ours and make us sons and daughters of God, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Father, May the gratitude that we profess be demonstrated in the actions that we take for your kingdom and for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.